0: And now it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting with Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell. This is the college Hi, basketball pick. bonanza. And here we go with this Saturday special of the college basketball bonanza. Excuse me there. My name is Nicholas Hodell. Thank you so much for joining me, whether you are joining me live on Twitter at College Bonanza or listening on your preferred podcast platform. Happy to have you alongside. My other co-hosts tonight are not with me, Dominic Stern, Don Contini, as the winter break with our college schedule brings about plenty of travel, plenty of family obligations. They are busy taking care of those on this Saturday evening, but that is okay because we have a very jam-packed program for you this evening. And we're going to start off right away. With what I believe is the top story of this week. And that is Big Ten play is just continuing to have all kinds of incredible storylines. And the storyline of the entire week, number one goes down again. Purdue losing and what was an incredible final sequence of basketball, losing to Rutgers, 72, 68, Ron Harper Jr., the buzzer beater that will probably be played a lot as far as this season's highlights. Hard concern, and it deserves to be quite frankly. It was an absolutely incredible shot to win the game. And I, I I really just want to give props to Ron Harper Jr., 30 and 10. What a fantastic performance he had. Uh, not the only one with great performances with Purdue. You had Trevion Williams at 21 and 11, 13 and 6 for Sackeedy, the, the big men for Purdue continuing to produce as they usually do. The big lesson here from, from, from all of this, and this also applies to the next thing I'm going to talk about, if you let Big Ten teams hang around on the road in conference play, there's a good chance you're losing that game. There's a very good chance you're losing that game. And Purdue Rutgers wasn't even the prime example of that. That was Indiana against Wisconsin on the eighth. Indiana had a 22-point lead and then proceeded to blow it against Wisconsin in the Kohl Center, where their streak of not winning in the Kohl Center, depending on where this particular fixture is scheduled next season, excuse me, will likely be above 25 years. And I firmly believe that Indiana lost this game more than Wisconsin won it. I mean, completely, <laughs> excuse me, completely, fair play to Wisconsin for outright dominating in the second half. I mean, I couldn't tell you not the 7-0 runs that Wisconsin had and really just took it into a whole other dimension. Now, you do need to understand, though, Indiana's shooting percentage because they were bad. Bad. 7-31 in the second half. Only five attempts from three. Not a single one of them dropped. Three of nine from the free throw line. That's not going to win a lot of ballgames. As far as the second half is concerned, I mean, this is a situation where Indiana, I believe, choked and choked big time. This is a big opportunity for Mike Woodson and company to make a big statement. And in the first half, when they completely dominated, shot 55% from the field, 5 of 8 from beyond the three-point arc. You have this feeling that this was Indiana's night, and it was finally going to be their night to win in the Kohl Center. Well, guess what? That didn't happen. That didn't even come close to happening in the second half. And I kind of told myself from the 13-minute mark that, you know what? it's a good chance Indiana's going to lose this game. And sure enough, Indiana lost that game. And that is a loss that they're going to heavily regret down the line. It just is. Wisconsin's follow-up earlier today against Ohio State was a stinker in and of itself. 73-55 loss in Columbus against Ohio State. Now, perhaps the one player, well, there's actually two that have performed really well. Johnny Davis, 24 and seven off of 50% shooting on 11 of 22 shots. Johnny Davis is one of those guys that's going to carry Wisconsin to the next level. It's just going to happen. And as good as Brad Davidson is, he had 13 and five in this particular game. It's going to be Johnny Davis that takes this Wisconsin team to the heights where they're going to go. Now, Within this Big Ten race, I don't know just quite how far that is. But what I can tell you is that this is a very impressive game from Ohio State. Now, the one-on-one split for Wisconsin is all right. The way that happened, that's all right. Ohio State, EJ Liddell, my goodness. 28-9, he was super impressive. And one of those players that is starting to claim one of the frontrunner spots for Big Ten Player of the Year. And it's valuable to serve after a performance like this. Kyle Young didn't score that often for Ohio State, but 14 rebounds for him. He was really getting in there and doing a lot of that dirty work inside, which is what you have to do. You just have to do that. So good win for Ohio State. They had a pretty strong week and a good start to Big Ten play. The Michigan school has had a very interesting week. Michigan State and a Minnesota, good road win for Michigan State, seventy-five to sixty-seven. They followed this with, with a win against Penn State, and this was one of those scenarios where you had four guys scoring at least ten points. Three of them scored fifteen. Malik Hall, fifteen and nine. Gabe Brown, fifteen and eight. Good performances from those guys, and. For Minnesota, probably a bit more he could have done earlier on this game to give yourself more of a chance. First half was one of those games that, one of those has I should say, that Minnesota wasn't impressive. Yeah, 30% shooting, 2-11 of 11 from 3. Big difference to Michigan State, 6-11 in that first half. Probably a bit more they could have done, but Jamison Battle got himself going in the second half. And it was probably a little bit too, little too late uh, on that perspective. We'll talk about Minnesota solving in a little bit. But before we do that, Michigan uh, 100 bomb against Nebraska. And for a time, for a time after this game, it seemed like all of Michigan's problems were solved. It seemed like all of their problems were completely solved. Brandon Johns Jr. with 20. Terrence Williams II with 22. Dickinson, 15 and 12. Caleb Houston, 16 and 6. Eli Brooks with 10. Plenty of offensive options, over 50% from the floor. 15 of 32 from beyond the three-point arc. They really, really impressed in this game. Did a really good job of limiting Nebraska to 5 of 35 from 3. And just a dominating blowout. Big shout-out to ASU Chancellor Alonso with 31-8 and eight in this game. He's becoming a volume scorer for the Nebraska Core Huskers, and he'll need to be. The follow-up for Michigan and for Minnesota. Minnesota seventy-five, Michigan sixty-five. Davidson battle twenty-seven and seven. He had a fantastic performance. Hunter Dickinson also did his part with nineteen and ten. But for Michigan, you know, a home game against Minnesota. I don't think that's a game you should be losing. I, I really don't. And I I am concerned for Michigan, uh, perhaps a little bit more than I was before, to be quite honest. One of those performances that is a little bit of a head-scratcher. And I don't know if it's going to tell the sign of of, of the season for the Michigan Wolverines. But when you look at their Ken Palm situation, this is a team that started out second nationally. And this performance dropped them ninth class to 20th, from 11th to 20th. Now, they're all offensive and defensive but You're still both in the top 25 nationally. They're looking good there. Their turnover percentage numbers on both sides of the ball are pitiful. They're both outside to the top 200. That's not going to bring you a lot of games in the Big Ten. They need to get that figured out in a hurry, in an absolute hurry. The last major Big Ten game I want to discuss Illinois 87, Iowa 83. Both these games had non conference follow ups. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Illinois and Iowa, really well played game. Uh, on both sides, actually, uh, I, I like the way this is a, a very competitive Big Ten game, very typical Big Ten game, and that's really what I like to see. Uh, Alonzo Plummer on 21 for Illinois in this game, Jacob Reddington with 21 as well, Kofi Coburn 17 and 17 and 18, I should say, really dominating. <laughs> excuse me, really dominating that glass, and that was a very impressive performance. Also for Iowa. Four players with 11 points or more. Keegan Murray leading the pack with 19 points. A decent performance from them shooting-wise. I think that Iowa could make themselves a bit of a very interesting side this season in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, they will have plenty of work to do uh, to really meet their meet their ambitions. This is now their third loss in a row to quality opposition, I should add. Um, Virginia, their last win back on November 29th, is proving to be pretty much a... Uh, yeah, I'm going to say fraud, pretty much a fraud in uh, an ACC mid-pack that is just belittled with teams that probably aren't going to go to the NCAA tournament. So you're really going to have to be careful um, of that being your best non-conference win. They have a change in a neutral site um, against Utah State, which will be interesting. Uh, but the big thing for either of those, that was on the road. That's the big thing for that for that Virginia win. They have a lot of work to do before Big Ten play, really ramps up in January. Uh, but there are some signs that are encouraging. Uh, And then those signs completely wiped out when Iowa State completely demolished them by 20 points. Now, I will say this about Iowa State. I thought that this was a team that we had to wait a little bit on. You know, the NIT tip-off performance was fantastic. They played, I mean, they did what they had to do. You know, a tight win on the road against Creighton. That's not a bad win considering how the Big East is playing this year. Biggest thing for me, though, is... Can Iowa State prove to do this enough in the Big 12 to where don't get swallowed up? After this performance, I think I can confidently say that the answer is yes. Now, the Big 12 grind is unlike any in college basketball. Big 10's up there, but the Big 12 grind is almost as difficult. Uh, and honestly, a little more difficult because you're facing quality opponents night after night after night. This Iowa State team is not supposed to do much this season. And T.J. Osoberger has taken this club to 9-0, 50th in Kempong, which I don't know if those county at home is only good for 8th in the Big 12. So There's that. Every single team in the Big 12 is in the top 70 in Kempong. Conference play will really test the Iowa State Cyclones. This game in particular, it was really good stuff defensively, forcing Iowa to 27% shooting, 18.5% from beyond the three-point arc. And Isaiah Brockington, 29-10, and 10, Really impressive performance. He will have to do that over the course of time in the Big Twelve grind. But I really think that this Iowa State team has something going for them, and they are becoming one of the more pleasant surprises of this college basketball season. Really impressed with what they're doing. Illinois, on the other hand, very tight home loss to Arizona. Arizona will will be in the top. Excuse, excuse me. Arizona will be in the top ten on Monday. I think they will probably end up being around seven or eight. Would not be surprised to they didn't come up to six. I don't think they climbed to the top five quite yet. But this team's going to get there. This is a team that has all the right pieces. They're going to contend with UCLA in the Pac-12 for the Pac-12 title. They may even get the Pac-12 title because what Tommy Lloyd is doing is ultra impressive with this Arizona Wildcat team. Uh, Benedict Murthram, 30 points in this game and seven rebounds as well. Really impressive stuff from him. And the guards for Illinois also showed out uh, Alfonso Plummer mentioned earlier, he had 25 in this game, wasn't even the leading scorer as Trent Fraser had 27. So plenty of individuals had really good performances in this game. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was all about what Arizona did to close this game out. And guess they give a lot of respect to them for the way they closed that out. Other marquee non-conference games, Satan Hall defeating Texas, proving the point of the big East. It's good to be an absolute war this season over there in that conference. And Satan Hall is proving to be one of those teams that are going to give teams to a lot of heck over the course of the season. And I remember, quite frankly, saying that the Big East was good. I think we all remember saying that it was going to be Philadelphia Clear One. They may still be that. Listen, let's not kid ourselves here. They may still be that Clear One in Big East conference. And you call this kind of guy like that Clear Second Place team with everyone else fighting for third. Xavier's gotten into the picture as a really strong side. Satan Hall has gotten into the picture as a really strong side. And now you have four really quality teams. And all of these teams are starting out really well for the most part at not conference play, with the exception of Georgetown at five and four. Oh, and by the way, one of those wins was at home against Syracuse earlier today. So this conference is really proving themselves to be a really tough conference to go up. <laughs> up against and, you know, and really good performances from a lot of these Aiden Hall players, shot 40% from the floor, little less than the percentage said than what Texas did, uh, but still a really impressive game. Texas, on the other hand, I'm concerned. Uh, I am now not quite panic button yet, but I am very concerned for this Texas team. Uh, When you consider that Gonzaga and Aiden Hall are one and only two losses, and the only two quality teams they played against. I'm a little worried for them. And if you want to call Stanford next Sunday on a neutral site quality, go for it. Not gonna stop you from it. I don't think that's the correct opinion. Uh, and then they go into big 12 play after that. I think the big 12 grind, unless this team really establishes its culture is going to eat the Longhorns alive. And Chris Beard has a lot of work on his hands, and the Texas Gonzaga game 28 days ago really was a culture war. It was the Gonzaga team knew who they were, knew what kind of players they had, and they crushed a Texas team who was trying to come together with a bunch of transfers. And at the time, we were like, "Okay, let's see how this goes uh, into the coming weeks." And against inferior opponents, it looked good. But now, once again, you come against a quality opponent and it didn't quite work out for you so now i'm a little concerned about this texas team i didn't think i would say that i thought this texas team was much better than this uh but i'm worried for them i really am worried for them the jimmy v classic always one of the best days uh on the calendar in college basketball uh philanova and syracuse and madison square garden you can only imagine how that felt in, the, in Madison Square Garden, an old Big East matchup coming back to Madison Square Garden. The place looked very electric. It was alive. It was well. And Philanova ran away with this thing in the second half. And this is a game that was played really well, um, but I would say by both teams. Uh, Philanova ended up getting the buckets. They needed to run away with this thing uh, toward the end by 14 points. But Syracuse definitely hung in there with Philanova you know, Syracuse is one of those teams that, you know, when you're facing in zone, you just never quite know what you're going to get out of it. Uh, and I, I do believe the Philadelphia eventually was able to crack the code, started making some shots, and that's what they needed to do. They needed to make some shots, and they did that, and they did that very well in the second half. Yes, only 16 of 40 for their defense to the jogging at the run. Oh, and by the way, 8 of 22 from beyond the three-point line. Very good performance. The earlier game, uh, the triple stumper of this particular night, Tennessee losing to Texas Tech in one of the ugliest games you will ever see. 57-52 to Texas Tech. And this will go into the theme going forward for the next little bit of these non-conference upsets. And Texas Tech and Tennessee, the offense didn't come alive until overtime. And this was about as ugly as a game as you could possibly watch. And I think I know what an ugly game looks like considering I covered a certain 51-29 contest in Tempe, Arizona. That was ugly. This was right up there in terms of ugliness because neither team could see them make a three-point shot to save them lives. And then lo and behold, Tennessee makes a three-point shot to go into overtime. And then lo and behold, Texas Tech goes three of five from the field, and seven of 10 from the 3 line in overtime. So Texas Tech did what they needed to do. And Texas Tech, by the way, has now climbed above Texas in the Kempom rankings at number 15 with the number five adjusted offensive efficiency in the country. Texas Tech could be one of those players with Kettlebell Banner that could cause some problems. Uh, Texas Tech with the best adjusted defensive efficiency in the conference. Baylor is right behind at seventh of nationally. That'll be very interesting. As will almost every single one of these Big 12 conference games, as every team in here, according to Kempaw's metric, is a quality team. It's just unfortunate that one of them is going to have to lose a bunch of games. Tennessee, on the flip side, I don't think I'm too worried about this. Um, You're going to have a bunch of off nights. You may still have the number one adjusted offensive efficiency in the country. Where my worry comes into play is that similar to Texas, Philanova and Texas Tech, where are your quality non-conference games? And if you want to count Colorado on the road, I don't think net will blame you and i will not blame you for the purpose of this conversation that we're going to live to the top 50 teams in camp Palm. number six philanova number 15 texas tech they lost both of those games and if i look back at the philanova game you mean the shooting from three Well, somewhere from three so it is interesting to look at some of this stuff and Rick Barnes will have some work in front of him. I still think Tennessee's going to be okay as there's the screen for you. I think they're going to be okay. And this is definitely not a game that anybody wanted to watch. Anybody. And I just kind of struggled watching that game. Um, and quite frankly, it was honestly probably a little more enjoyable in Washington State and Arizona State uh, a little while back. But I definitely think that Tennessee will be okay. Texas Tech is going to be just fine in the Big 12 gauntlet. They're looking like an NCAA tournament team. They will more than likely get there, and I think that all parties will be in an okay position. So a lot of these non-conference upsets, and there was plenty of them. We'll start with this with with, with today's one of today's bigger ones: Kentucky going to South Bend, Indiana. You know there was a certain game about 10 years ago but lead to this day where it was a lot for for the win in the state of indiana and kentucky once again travels to the state of indiana i'll bet a little bit more north this time and the result is the exact same that would be a kentucky loss 66 62 and Notre dame I mean, this is a team that early on in the year i almost had to pick against one of those being my to pick and win with the st mary's Notre dame contest in the quote unquote invitation on in Las Vegas. And at the time I had not seen Notre Dame enough to really get my attention. This is a result that gets my attention with four players scoring double digits all the seven by, by play by the way, very balanced scoring in, in this particular contest. The shooting percentages were a bit similar. Notre Dame made more threes and that ultimately was the difference. Uh, in this particular ballgame, having more threes to really work off of. And Kentucky, 2 of 19 from 3. That's a problem. You're almost certainly going to make yourself susceptible to upsets every time you put up that kind of number from beyond the three-point arc. Ten point arc, 10.5%. Oscar Sheboy, 25-7, and seven, not a double-devil, devil, but he will be a big, big problem for SEC opponents in non-conference play. For Notre Dame, this was a very big win for them, uh, a very big win for them. And they started off the season just outside of the top 25 in Kempon. They have since slipped to 251st. This game did not help them, actually, in, in that ranking. Their defense has really slipped outside of the top 100 nationally, according to Kempon, with a bunch of red figures within the four factors and the other miscellaneous components. So there is some work to be done defensively especially if Notre Dame wants to come out of this what is looking like a crowded middle of the pack in this conference. And this is going to be one of those scenarios where Notre Dame is going to have to work on that because there are going to be a few NCAA tournament bids that are at stake within this particular conference. And who comes out of that middle of the pack? Can Notre Dame grab one of them is going to be the big question. They're getting a lot more big wins like this. And they got a great opportunity next Saturday against Indiana to afford to do that. That will be a very interesting game, one that I am hopeful to be able to watch. Now, with family obligations, I can't guarantee it, but, of course, that is the drill. It's supposed to break for us college students. We get it. Meanwhile, is it time to sound the alarm for the Arkansas Razorbacks after a 22-point defeat today to Oklahoma? And my answer is a big, fat yes. Let's look a little bit at the Arkansas Razorback schedule before we talk a little bit about this particular contest. Arkansas had gone undefeated to this point. Their big problem is that their best opponents they played, Kansas State and Cincinnati. Now, Arkansas had the opportunity to play Illinois. And unfortunately, the Cincinnati upset of Illinois did not allow that to happen. And that would have been a big boost to their schedule. And it's just one of those cases where you did what you had to do, you got two wins, which is more important, quite frankly. You can just only hope that Kansas State and Cincinnati put in a good shift and hopefully move those kids up to quad one. I don't think that'll happen, but we'll see as time goes on. This was the only quality opponent that Arkansas has faced up to this point. And that's what makes this result so concerning in my eyes, Uh, the fact that Arkansas really just got boat raced out of the BOK center. Nearly 55% shooting for Oklahoma. Just over 59% shooting beyond the three-point arc for the Sooners. Five players and double figures in the scoring column. Elijah Herkles with a fantastic performance of 21 and 11 in points and rebounds, respectively. Defonding Davis for Arkansas is good, 26 and 5. So you notice you got 13 points. Your problem there, three or four teams in the field. Not a reliable offensive option when you're shooting like that. And, you know, in games like this, you need a reliable second and third option. Arkansas just didn't have that. Too many guys were missing too many shots to really make anything of this. And it was the second half where it was a true runaway for Oklahoma. I mean, Eric Musselman getting ejected from the game. He was really getting mad. And I don't think this is the downfall of the Razorbacks, but they have a lot of work to do. They'll uh, have two tune-ups against Hotspur any long before their SEC schedule begins. And once that begins, you will hardly have a quote-unquote tune-up game in conference. I mean, Missouri's not looking good. Georgia is not looking good. Outside of the win against Memphis, but they're in an awful state. I'll talk about that a little bit later on in this program. South Carolina is outside of the Camp Palm top 100. And outside of that, you have pretty much quality teams, maybe with the additional exception of Vanderbilt. And I I worry Uh, these next, the next month will be very interesting over in Vanderfield to see what coach Eric Musselman can get out of his guys. that will be very, very tough. UConn losing to to West Virginia, I should say. 56-53. Tash Sherman, great performance. 23-6. Did what he had to do. West Virginia made three, made six threes. Connecticut made three, not saying that was a difference, but a three-point game, make the the parallels as you wish. Also make the parallels as you wish of West Virginia, shooting 12 of 27 from the free throw line and still grabbing the upset. Make that parallel as you wish as well. And again, this is another example of a Big 12 team that is (coughs) doing a lot of good work for themselves within – not conference play. The win against Clemson on a neutral floor was good. Um, this win is obviously really good. And they'll have a game next Saturday against UAB, a team that is expected to be at the top of Conference USA by a long shot, according to Camp numbers. And they're 42nd in the country in Camp Palm as well. So that'll be a very interesting game. And we'll pick it later on in the program. But I, I do like what I see out of West Virginia. UConn, we'll see where things go. Uh, I don't think this is the worst result given how much you compete in a road environment in the, within this Big East Big 12 battle. Um, but it's definitely an intriguing result. It's not a loss you want to take. And it does sort of make that gap a lot smaller between yourself and that third and fourth place team in the Big East. That'll be very, very intriguing. Now a few upsets, which I consider absolutely unacceptable. And let's start with the most shocking one of the week. Texas Southern against Florida. Florida, wow. You really do surprise me at how bad this performance was. This was a shocking, shocking bad performance. Defensively, really bad Texas Southern shot 54.4% from the field. And in a graphic we put up on our Twitter page at College Penance earlier this week, that's a far cry from what they were shooting earlier this week and up until that point in the season. Five of 11 from three, two of five from the line. Really, who cares? The most surprising stat line in this game, and there's actually a couple of them. Number one, the fact that Texas Southern was still in the way in this game, losing the turnover battle 22 to 10. Here for this game was one. Texas Southern doubled Florida up in rebounds 46 to 23. Yikes mode is activated and it is making really, really loud noises in Gainesville. That was absolutely pathetic from the Florida Gators. Just pathetic. They got a rebound at home against North Florida. I'll be very interested nice during their contest tomorrow on Sunday against Maryland on a neutral floor. That I think will tell me a lot more about this Florida team and how they're able to rebound against a quality opponent. They have the wins. Florida stay at home, Ohio staying on a neutral floor, and an absolute thriller. The be able to win the Fort Myers tip off. They have the wins. But what I say is that you need two good wins to negate one bad loss because those bad losses just stick out. On the team sheet, on the resume sheet. There's your bad loss. You essentially got to go from scratch again. Get more good wins uh, because that loss will be a big sour note for the Florida Gators. And quite frankly, it deserves to be. It really does deserve to be. Butler winning in the Lloyd Noble Center in Northern Oklahoma, 66 62. And a game that perhaps Oklahoma should have taken an overtime result. And in overtime, you just got to put the rest of the results behind you. You have five minutes. The best team in the five minutes wins the game. And from the free throw line, Butler had six opportunities, made five of them. Oklahoma had zero opportunities at the free throw line. So there you go, in essence. There you go. That that is pretty much how this one was won. Butler out rebounded Oklahoma by 13 and a and a good performance there. Really good stuff from, from Butler. And it gets them back on the right track. I mean, they didn't they did not help themselves at all by losing the first two games in quote unquote Maui and having to play Chaminade, which they utterly destroyed. That is to be expected. And this was their first quality win of the year. They will need to get a lot more of those in play to have a chance at the NCAA tournament. They have a lot of work to do for that. But this is a win you can build off of. And I think Butler needs to do that. They have any chance of getting to the NCAA tournament. And what better chance than next Saturday against Purdue? That will be a very, very fun one to see play out. The next absolutely, utterly unacceptable upset. That I want to talk about and quite lengthy at that Murray State of Memphis this is the game that I watched and for Memphis this is now a yikes mode situation that I personally believe cannot be solved this is an absolute disaster this could be actually not could be is the most disappointing team in the entire country you got all this talent, you're two super freshmen, and you beat Virginia Tech on a neutral floor. And it looks like Virginia Tech's gonna be a very quality opponent. But then what do you do? What's your response? Well, your response is getting early destroyed against Iowa State. And there was an NIT season tip-off championship at stake. That's not good. The next game, 82-79 road loss to Georgia. Georgia's not good. I don't care if that's an away loss or a home loss. That ain't looking good on any resume. That is not good. The follow up three days later, an away loss, Ole Miss. That was not the best outcome. Ole Miss is a lot better than Georgia. I will good than that. But this Memphis team should be beating Ole Miss. And then this, I guess, Murray State 74 72. Too many amateur mistakes. And I'm not talking about the college definition of amateur. I'm talking about amateur, amateur. The ultimate amateur mistakes, double dribble, stepping on sidelines. It was a pathetic display for Memphis. Now, the interesting part about this is that it looked like they were going, <laughs> excuse me, it looked like they were going to run away after. A really good end of the first half. They're up by 14 points at halftime, 40 to 26. Now was off of 57% shooting, 5 out of 10 from beyond the three point arc, 11 to 17 from the free throw line. Probably getting a little more work, but at least you were trending in the right direction. The second half, your shooting numbers are okay. They're okay. Murray State, and I have to give them a lot of props for this, 10 of 15 from the Yamaha point arc. I have to tip my cap at that kind of performance. That was a very strong performance from Murray State from the Yamaha point arc to win this game in the second half. For Memphis, and, I'm gonna, and I believe we're at the point now to where Penny Hardaway is fighting for his job. And you could have said this for the last two weeks, and I still would have agreed with you. Now you're in crisis mode in Memphis, Tennessee. This is a team that was expected to do so much more mistakes, turnovers, free throws. I mean, there are three, I mean, they were three for five in the second half. Total, they were 14 to 22. That needs some work, quite honestly. I'm not satisfied of 64% in the free throw line. I'm not. There's so much stuff going wrong that you can put any team together. It ain't working. The chemistry of this team is shot. And that has been well documented. If I'm the Memphis administration, quite frankly, I'm giving Hannah away two months. So from now until February 11th to get this thing going in the right direction, The expectation for the Memphis fan base, and this was a good expectation, was to win the conference. You got so much talent, but there was ultimately no excuse not to do just that. And we're at the point now to where we are looking at an utter disaster. Four straight losses. Three that were bad. Bad losses. Murray State has climbed to the top 110 so You have that. That's not a good loss, no matter how you... No matter how you, you go about it. Oh, by the way, the next two games for Memphis, Alabama at home, Tennessee neutral floor. This is ugly. This is bad. And assuming Memphis loses those two games, because I have no proof that they're going to win those games, they will need to win home against Alabama State on December 21st to be a 500-NN American Athletic Conference play. Who saw that coming? Not me. Not me. It's a disaster in Memphis. I don't know if it's fixable. This will probably be in the last year of Penny Hardaway under the helm of Memphis. It really is that simple at this point. Creighton big win in the Pentagon over BYU, eighty-three seventy-one. A big win for them. And this is a win I was for Creighton, this guy was so satisfying. With Ryan Hawkins going to twenty-five and eight, Ryan Calkbrenner fourteen and nine. Alex O'Connell, 15. Ryan Nethard 17. And despite BYU shooting 12 of 23 from beyond three-point land, which is really expected for this BYU team, they're really good at shooting the three. They were 27 of 69 overall. That's not getting way too many games, and especially when you add in the factor of that three-point shooting percentage. Ain't gonna do you much good at all, and it's very concerning for this BYU team and also in the West Coast Conference. BYU, or I should say the West Coast Conference needs BYU to be better than this. If there is a chance at a three bid West Coast Conference, the dream of four bids, which I believe is dead, this cannot happen. You need BYU to be better than this. You, You do. You need quality win opportunities. Now, I'm not saying that BYU won't win all of them, you know, against teams like San Francisco and St. Mary's, but you just need to be better than this. I think the conference probably shaking their head at BYU, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, just a good way for Creighton. Let's not kid ourselves. Good, good way for Creighton. Unfortunate on BYU side of things. To move on to a couple of inside rivalries between power conference teams and mid-majors that really broke out. And one of them being Virginia losing to James Madison which now officially confirms that Virginia is bad. They're just bad. This is just not a good performance whatsoever of uh, from Virginia. Only 14 points in the first half. That is a disaster. And he tried to come back in the second half, but it was too little too late, especially for your style. That ain't going to work for anybody. It just isn't. And I give a lot of props to James Madison and also props to Virginia for scheduling this game. We're having the guts to schedule these type of games on the road. I believe more power comes to do this. And I'm going to talk about that a little later on in this program, actually. But it's the bad performance nonetheless. And it really just shows that Virginia is not going to be a factor. They're just not. The other in-state rivalry that, that played a very important game, um, depending on how you look at things, Uh, Grand Canyon and Arizona State. Again, I was blessed enough to cover ASU winning 67-62. GCU, I have a ton of respect for, for basically bringing the house to Desert Financial Arena in They brought the house. And right right before I went into the arena to, to work this game, I saw the big swarm of GCU fans making their way to the arena from the parking structure across the street. My goodness, they showed out. It's a big respect to the GCU program and the type of special things that they have going there. Now, I will say for ASU, their defense won this game. I mean, they're still not a shooting team. I mean, three of 20 from three, that ain't good. But they've limited a grand county And off. And here's the, here's the winner. 26 of 28 from the free throw line. After some of the free throw performances we've seen so far this season, who would have saw that coming? A really good performance for ASU from the free throw line that won in this game and the environment of this game, it kind of leads to our next segment, which normally goes to another host Dom Contini his fresh take. I'm going to give my take and it's going to lead directly into today's Bonanza rank. Lead directly into it. More power programs, more power five, power six, if you will, programs need to schedule these type of in-state games where you're going to teams like James Madison from Virginia, going to places like a V.C. or a Richmond. You need to do this. In-state rivalries, you know, unless, I mean, they're obviously how you you having rivals that are built, And 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 that's great. Rivalries are great for college sports, but there is so much potential. Instead of, Playing a bye game against North Carolina, <coughs> excuse me, North Carolina Central. Instead of, playing a, instead of scheduling a bye game like that, why don't you instead schedule a team closer to home? You know, like a Vanderbilt, like a Belmont in the case of tennis, of Tennessee. Get that Memphis Nashville battle in there. I mean, there's a lot of that stuff that would be fun to see. And I wrote down a whole list of these type of games, it does college basketball extremely well, especially when the visiting team travels in the case of Grand Canyon. It can make for exciting atmospheres and I could not tell you what the Iowa State atmosphere was like because I was obviously not watching that game because I was working the ASU GCU contest. What I can tell you is that I believe the ASU GCU contest riled any atmosphere in the country that night and maybe even exceeded it, to be quite honest. It felt like a neutral site game. You have the GCU student section going bonkers. The ASU student section, who showed out in numbers, I believe twenty seven hundred, which a big respect to the Arizona State student district for showing out and saving the program from embarrassment. Which is that? Which is what that would have been if GCU won the game and they took over the arena. You risk that, yes. What you gain is an in-state rivalry that you can. Get excited for I mean, some of the matches that I kind of wrote down that did not make my Bonanza rank, which is going to be in-state rivalry that need to happen more often, perhaps on an annual basis. You know, how about a DePaul or Northwestern against Florida or Chicago? Battle for Chicago. Georgia Tech and Georgia State. Battle for Atlanta. You know, how about Florida and Central Florida? I know you have a Florida Florida State, how you could build another rivalry within your own state that you play the non-conference. Instead of these buy games, we need to do more stuff like this. And buy games are good for prepping your team for what's to come. And I understand that. And for a lot of these smaller programs, it's how they're funded. But at the same time, when you can start up these little rivalries like this, you could generate excitement for your program. You could build another rivalry within your non-conference for your schedule. And ultimately, what you do. You generate excitement. If you get a win or two, that's how you build a program. And I firmly believe that that will benefit the entire sport overall. You know, instead of having slates on particular days where it's not good, give you yourself an in-state rivalry like a Virginia-Richmond. Give yourself an state rivalry like a West Virginia-Marshall. That's going to benefit benefit everyone down the line. And let's get straight to my answer rank now of the three possible in-state rivalries that need to happen more often. Number three for me is Virginia VCU. And there's a lot of possibilities for Virginia, but James Madison, James Madison, who beat Virginia earlier this week, Richmond even. But VCU is my choice here because I believe VCU Virginia would generate excitement. And I, I, I would want to watch that game, no matter how good Virginia is, no matter how much of a blow it may see, these are two basketball programs that are strong. And the more of these strong rivals you can get, the better. And you know, sky launching through the wrist, that was one that stuck out to me. Number two is ASU-GCU. Talked about it earlier. I'll bring up the screen again just for the sake of it. But the battle for the Valley. And this is a little bit of, of a bias given I was actually in that arena that night for ASU-GCU. But what an opportunity that was for GCU to showcase themselves. ASU won the game. That's great. But you showed out the numbers. What a big statement that is on your basketball program. That rivalry needs to happen more often. I tweeted multiple times on that night. Are the schedule makers paying attention yet with videos of the student sections? That is what college sports is all about. That makes everyone better. And I promise you both sides will benefit from this rivalry being an annual tradition. I promise you both sides will benefit. My number one is Xavier and Ohio State. We saw this game earlier this year in the Gavit games, a really fun competitive game. And I would like this rivalry to not be dependent on the Gavit games to happen. This needs to be an annual thing as is Cincinnati and Xavier. I believe that this is a rivalry that will generate a lot of excitement, uh, especially for Xavier, uh, for Ohio State fans. It'll definitely draw that same traction if you can schedule on an annual basis. Really fun, con- really fun game in the Gaffa games. Really competitive potential rivalry here. And I really like that game. I mentioned some of the others that are, did not make my list. Um, a few more just for the sake of it. Vanderbilt and Belmont would be a lot of fun. The battle for Nashville, that would be a lot of fun on an annual basis, especially with Phantom can get better. And with Belmont's moving be to the Missouri Valley Conference, that'll elevate that potential rivalry that much more. Clemson South Carolina, ACC-SEC battle, I would love to see that happen more often than what it is uh, at the moment. Uh, for Ohio State would a couple of different options other than Xavier. Dayton, Ohio State would be really fun to watch. Ohio and Ohio State would be interesting in some years, which is another in-state part you can schedule. To get that intrigue, we're gonna move on to the Shawnee Diamonds, my awards. Uh, I normally would be all famous if they do in this, uh, but of course, it's just me. I would do this myself. My team of the week is the Arizona Wildcats. Really impressive performance on the road against Illinois and against Wyoming earlier in the week. They did what they, they do to pretty much everyone, scoring really well, 94 points in this game. They've been tested, they are a battle tested team. That has survived these battles with wins. And I firmly believe that Arizona will be a top 10 team on Monday. with have significant progress on any team their way to the top five, which they will get there at some point. Tommy Lloyd has done a fantastic job. He will be a candidate for national coach of the year. And honestly, I feel like he deserves it. I really do. TJ Ottenberger, is doing a phenomenal job. But at the end of the day, Tommy Lloyd has a legitimate, national championship contender on his hands because of the style of offense, the sharing of the basketball, the rebound numbers are really good on offense, the shooting numbers are really good on both sides of the ball. Just a phenomenal team that really loves to share the basketball, play good defense, and they're getting a lot of reward uh, for their performances. Mid-Major of the Week. How they go to Texas Southern? The way they dismantled Florida. That was... One of the most impressive contests for a mid-major team. It's a power conference team I have ever seen. Didn't watch a lot of this game, Uh, but you look at the box score and it's really hard not to be impressed by that. To be clear, it will be a one-off. Texas Southern is not that good. Let's make that clear. But for that one night to perform as well as they did, I have to tip my cap. That was super impressive. My individual of the week, Wisconsin guard Johnny Davis gets the award this week, 23-9 and nine against Indiana, 24-7-40, 23-bounds assists respectively against Ohio State. And I talked about it earlier on in this program to where he will take Wisconsin to the heights and he will dictate it for the Wisconsin team. That could be, in my definition of most valuable player, my definition, the common definition is the best player. My definition is value to a team, which is what the award should be, in my opinion. He is the most valuable player in the Big Ten. He is. E.J. Liddell and Ohio State has a, has a great argument to that, but this team's going to go as far as Johnny Davis takes it. He's turning really into that good of a player. He has really broken out. He will easily be the breakout player of the year in the nation, and he's already proving that, and he will be someone that wherever Wisconsin goes, he's taking them. And that is my shining diamonds, the weekly awards for this list. One more piece of business before I go. And that, of course, is our weekly predictions. And obviously, still in progress with the Alabama Houston game. Story about a little minutes as of now. And Baylor Virginia, I'm sorry, Baylor Filanova on Sunday. As of right now, Don Katini and Don Stern excuse me, we're tied. Dominic's Jordan taking taken the lead after the Arizona contest, we went to 31 and 17. Dom Cantini is sitting at 30 and 18, I'm at 28 and 20. I have work to do and we are gonna try and do that over the course of this week. The first game up for predictions this week, Arizona State and Creighton. Not a lot of great games within the early part of this week as finals kick in for a lot of universities. Obviously, uh, Arizona State, our finals are done. Myself and Dominic Stern are picking Crayton. Don continues is taking an ASU. And this was going to be a very tight call for me after what I saw of the ASU against Grand Canyon. But Crayton really convinced me in their win against BYU. And the Big East, as I have said, as I have said is going to be a war. And Crayton is part of that. And I think the ASU's defense will play a factor in this game. It ain't gonna win it for them. Their shooting from Montana New York is too poor, and I think Crane will take advantage of that. All three of us have Alabama over Memphis. Really easy call for me, as Memphis is a shadow of what they were expected to be. Richmond and NC State. We are all taking NC State. Thought about Richmond, but you know what? I'm not letting Atlantic 10 burn me again. And that's the theme of the next game, St. Bonaventure and Virginia Tech. Don Contini is taking St. Bonaventure, which, after the way they looked against UConn and a losing effort, I cannot blame him. But St. Bonaventure is teetering on the edge of being a team that will fall on the outside looking in on the bubble situation. And that is also because you have to really consider uh, what St. Bonaventure has ahead for them. That is the Atlantic 10 that, if we're being honest, is not that good outside of, say, venture. Davidson and Richmond are both in the top 70 at Kent Hall. After that, it's Rhode Island, FSU, St. Louis, Dayton in the top 100. And then you have landmines that you have to avoid, especially at home. You have to avoid the landmines. And there's too many of them out there in the A-10 for me to really believe in St. BioVenture getting into it to on that large basis. They will have to really be impressive over the course of time in the Atlantic 10 Conference. This particular game though, St. Bonaventure was really impressive in the Charleston Classic. They, have, they did not play a team as well as Virginia Tech or even UConn for that battle. And I think Virginia Tech on neutral floor will win a very close game. I, I really do. St. Mary's and San Diego State wraps up our midweek prediction. They're all going with San Diego State. I believe the West Coast Conference is starting to slide a little bit. I think that a lot of the early performances out of this conference were not seen as much of at the moment. So got to be careful in picking St. Mary's here, in my opinion. The weekend, Kentucky and Ohio State, part of the CBS Sports Classic, were all taking Ohio State. And especially after the Kentucky Notre Dame contest, Ohio State hasn't really come out and played exceptional this season. And I think they will get that win. Texas Tech at Gonzaga. Who knows what Gonzaga will do? They've lost some non-conference games against more physical teams, but we're all taking Gonzaga. North Carolina and UCLA, a part of the CBS Sports Clackets as well. We're all taking UCLA. I think that is very self-explanatory. Notre Dame and Indiana, won the games in the Crossroads Classic. We're all taking Indiana, which is interesting. I actually think this has potential to be a triple stumper with Indiana. Uh, But... That'll be a very fun contest to watch. It really will be. Finally, West Virginia and UAB. Don McJourney is taking UAB. Myself and Don continue taking West Virginia. I think this is UAB's final, (laughs) excuse me, excuse me though. Their final chance, UAB, to really put themselves in the thick of an outlaws picture with a quality win. If they can't do it here, they will not get there. And I do not think that will be the case. And so that'll wrap things up here on this Saturday special we'll of the College Bass Bonanza. We'll fill out the entire crew back next week to discuss all the week's games and another Fresh Bonanza rank and our Fresh Weekly Awards for you. To come to that time. As a reminder, if you've listened to all previous episodes on your preferred podcast platform. Or now, in the case of Twitter live streams, you can watch it back on our Twitter at College Bonanza if you want as well. And just kind of see my facial reactions and stuff like that. That could be very interesting for you, the viewer or listener. But for now, i am Nicholas Hodel. This has been the College Basketball Anza, We'll see you next week.